oh God. We thank you, Lord, that you are keeping us, protecting us, guiding us. And Lord, we just pray even now, Lord, with so many, um, so many hundreds of thousands, even millions of people who are affected uh, in this pandemic, Lord, who are going through physical challenges in their body at various stages of intensity, oh God, some who are in the hospital, some on ventilators, some who are at home struggling, some who are recovering, oh God, uh, those who even have lost and recently lost loved ones because of this monster out there in the air. We pray, oh God, that you would just some you just manage to give us the wisdom uh, for salvation throughout this pandemic, oh God. Help us to to follow your report, your will, Lord. Help us to protect our bodies, to wear our masks, to sanitize our our various things that we engage and touch in our hands and whatever. God, help us to use wisdom, even how it was in the times of Moses when the death angel was passing over, that people had very specific instructions, godly instructions in order to protect themselves from death. Lord God, we just ask that the things that you have given, oh God, the practical wisdom things that you've given us, Help us to exercise that in all of our doings, oh God, so that we won't accept ourselves to um, this contagion that's out there. And Father, we just pray, oh God, that you would somehow, in some way, and only the way that you can do, that you would cleanse the air, cleanse the systems of, of humans, oh God, so that this raging plague that's out there taking lives and disrupting lives, that it would cease and desist. We speak to the principality, that wicked thing that's causing this thing to circulate, come against it, God, whether it's natural, whether it's manufactured by man. God, we just ask that you just put out your angels to work to put a cease and desist and the eviction of this contagion, we pray in Jesus' name. And Father, just those who are hurting in other ways, you know, depression, Lord, those who are having ill thoughts of, of with their life and their value of their own lives, that you will bring strength and life and wholeness and, and, and this vitality, oh God. You said, what's the reason is pure, what things over good, report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, help us to think on those things and to declare good things to our environments, to declare life and health to our bodies. Lord, Lord, your confession, your art and your practice to tell us to confess and to say, declare things is scientifically proven to help our bodies through the chemicals in our brain. So help us to do what you say so that you who are the creator of our bodies and are in, of our beings, that we will walk in your commands that will give us life, strength and vitality in this time. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we thank God for the prayer on today. We thank God for the opportunity to be in the word with you. And we are continuing our series, God is True. And today we're going to be talking about trusting God as his messenger. So if you are a prophet, if you are a leader, if you believe that you are a messenger of the Lord, um, the Lord wanted me to come and talk to you today specifically, and um, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah. We're going to be looking at the life of the prophet Isaiah, uh, probably this Sunday and uh, next Sunday, but we are starting at this place because he said, I need those who are feeling weak, who are feeling discouraged, who are feeling as though they live in an anti-God society who are feeling as though they live in an anti-truth society. I want to talk to them today. So that's what we're here for and that's what we have come to do. So we know that we've been talking about the fact that God is omnipresent. And what does that mean? We talked about how omnipresence means that God is possessed of universal and complete knowledge. 
and we are not. <laughs> God is omnipresent, but we are not, right? So our knowledge, our knowledge is limited. And as a messenger or as a prophet of God, it is imperative that we hear from the Holy Spirit on what kind of knowledge God wants us to deliver to his people. What is God saying universally? And then how should we deliver that word to his people? Now, can anybody hear God? Absolutely. But are those, are there those who are specially gifted and called to hear God? Absolutely. Um, and so, yes, it, both things can be true. Yes, you can hear God for yourself. And yes, God has called some people specifically to deliver his message and his word. All right. So God uses messengers. And in this case today, we're talking about a prophet by the name of Isaiah, who is called to deliver moral and spiritual truth. Now I'm going to spend some time talking about Isaiah because we need to know his background to really understand where he's coming from. All right. So Isaiah is not just conveying information. He is delivering, he is delivering revelation and he's stirring the belief in God's people. All right. So what are, what is one difference between just a messenger or a teacher sometimes versus a prophet? A prophet is delivering a divine revelation. It can be something about the present or it can be something about the age to come. All right. Now, this truth that is delivered can become what we call empirical truth or truth that is evidential. And as time moves forward, that truth can become part of historical fact and even transform history. And we know in the case of Isaiah the prophet, there were things that he prophesied that came to pass in human history that began to change the course of history. All right. So Isaiah is also seen as a poetic prophet. Um, he's got some of the most beautiful Hebrew uh, poetry structured into the way that he has delivered his messages. So he is also seen as a poet. Now, it is so vital that messengers of God know their role in this hour, know their responsibility both to God and man in this hour, know their authority to share and say what it is God is telling them to say in this hour, and to know their purpose within the framework of human history. If you are called to the prophetic, and God has given you something to say that is going to deal with human history, deal with a leadership, deal with nations. It is a part of your call. There is a responsibility to release the word of God within the time period and time frame that God has given you that word. Why? Because they often say <laughs> hindsight is 2020. Right. When we're looking back on an event, everybody could say, I saw it coming. But when God gives you foresight and insight into something um, and he tells you to deliver it to a people, to a nation, to a leader, it is oftentimes um, to become an intervention to that nation or to that leader. It can be a warning for that leader that if you turn and if you repent, and if you change, then the outcomes begin to change for your nation. So it doesn't do a prophet any good to sit back and hold words that are imperative to the transforming and to the repentance of a nation. I hope you are following me with that. Isaiah is an 8th century prophet from Judah. His name means literally the Lord saves and it is relevant to the messages that he will bring. His emphasis is on God 
And the name that he often uses for God is the Holy or the Holy One. So a lot of his messages are about defining what it is and what it is not. A lot of his messages emphasize God as the Holy One. He is the one who decides what is holy and what is not. It's not Isaiah's opinion about the people or about the nation or about the situation that defines what is holy. It is the fact that he's getting that word and that message from the Holy One. Isaiah is a visionary prophet. He's one who sees open visions about the state of the nation and its future. Now, some people are not visionary prophets. They're auditory prophets. And some people are both. All right. So one of the roles of a messenger is to faithfully deliver what you see and what you hear to the extent and measure that you're supposed to reveal it. Sometimes God may give you a, a panorama of things, or sometimes he may share with you what's coming in the next decade or in the next couple of years. But he may say, I want you to hold that part of the revelation until I tell you to, to release it or to speak it. Isaiah begins to reveal God, the Holy One, and he begins to reveal God's holiness as an experience, as a lifestyle, as an attractive quality to have. But he also reveals God's holiness as a revolution against idolatry. So if you want a revolution, live holy and see how many things come against, <laughs> see how many things come against your life as you're trying to live holy unto God. Okay. Isaiah doesn't get to change the message that he has to deliver in hopes of a different outcome. He must preach a holistic message. And that holistic message includes judgment, comfort, and hope. And if you're a true prophet of the Lord, you don't skip past judgment and go to hope and comfort. Unfortunately, we have a lot of voices right now in the earth that are skipping past judgment and they're going to hope and comfort. And when people receive the consequences of their lifestyles, they're wondering what happened. Well, what happened was you were listening to voices that did not give you the whole counsel of God. You were listening to voices that didn't tell you that this happening in your life, what's going on in your life right now is in direct contradiction to the Holy One that you say that you love and serve. So Isaiah doesn't get a chance to, he, he doesn't get a chance to just skip past what God is saying about the nations that is bringing judgment. He has to trust God in delivering a message of not only judgment, but of comfort and hope. And then of course, we have prophets that harp on judgment and never share the comfort and the hope of what God is also saying to the same group of people. Okay. So if you're, if you're studying the book of Isaiah, it is kind of broken up into three parts. Um, chapters one through 39 talks really about the judgments. Chapters 40 through 45 talk about the comfort. Okay. 40 through 55 talk about the comfort and 56 through 66 really speak of the hope that is coming. So it is a holistic word. God does not just say, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to be destroyed. You're he, God is a holistic, has a holistic nature. So if somebody is sharing doom and gloom with you and they never get to the comfort and the hope, mm -hmm. you have to question whether or not this is a holistic word from God, okay? 
Isaiah was a very smart, he was well-born and well-connected. It is said that he would have probably had um, a career in, in law of some kind, but around 18 years old, he has an experience that changes the course of his life forever. And for the next 40 years, he becomes God's ambassador, God's messenger, God's prophet to the royal court and to kings, both decent and wicked. Again, he doesn't get a chance to choose what kind of leader he's going to be speaking to. He doesn't get a chance to choose the message, but he does become the conduit and the vessel through which God speaks. All right. So judgment was inevitable, but so was hope and comfort and a future for those who took heed to God's words. All right. Through Isaiah, we realize that nothing is unusable by God, that everything is subject to work for his good. Everything that occurs becomes something that can be a divine tool in the hand of God to work for the good of his people. So what does Isaiah come to address? Isaiah's message is that he comes to address idolatry, continued idolatry. These people that Isaiah is talking to is his own people. They had an all you can all you can worship God buffet going on, okay? They had lost the appetite for the holy. This was going to send Judah into Babylonian captivity, but yet God would restore them through the coming Messiah and through the work of the suffering servant Christ who would be who would bear the sins of Judah eventually but this becomes a prophecy a major prophecy so one of the ways that this messenger that Isaiah showed trust in God is by doing something very very simple these days but in his day it probably would have taken a little bit more effort he showed his trust in God by writing and preserving what God had told him faithfully. He didn't just speak it one time. He recorded it. He notated it. He documented it. The book of Isaiah is the divinely inspired prophecies that he made during more than 40 years of ministry. So when you read the book of Isaiah, this is not something that was written in a weekend. <laughs> okay? To sort of give us a fuller context of what we're studying, this is 40 years of ministry recording the words and the judgments and the comfort and the hope that he was giving and delivering to different nations. These words were originally delivered to Judah as they were facing an Assyrian invasion. Now, ironically, Judah thought that their enemy was Israel or the 10 tribes. They were cheering when Assyria defeated the 10 tribes and they only sobered up as the Assyrian army began to turn their attention to them. Much like many people today, for some reason, they couldn't see that the other tribe's destruction by Assyria was actually a warning to them to get themselves together. They were going to be destroyed as a kingdom. This is what Isaiah came to prophesy to them. They were going to be destroyed as a kingdom but they would be preserved as a people if they sought the Lord and repented. Isaiah's message came in two parts. The first part 
is that judgment is coming. It's coming. The second part was that there is a larger picture here of redemption that God is trying to bring. So yes, God is the God of help and hope, but he is also the God who judges transgressions against his holiness. Now, there are people who do not believe in sin. They don't believe that sin is a real concept. What is sin? Sin is a word called hamartia. And that word means missing the mark. Not just missing your opinion about what is good, but really it's falling short or of or missing the mark of God's intention for your life. Is God's intention for our life to destroy us? No. Is God's intention for our life to bring us grief and harm? No. But someone else's is. So it's really the missing of God's mark. It's the missing of God's intention for our life. And what is his intention for us? Jesus said it this way. I would that you have life and you have it more abundantly. I wish that you would do the things that produce life and not live into the things that produce death for your soul, your body, and your spirit. So Isaiah is faithful to the prophetic message and he records no matter who is in leadership. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. Isaiah is faithful to the message that he has to deliver and he records he documents regardless of who is in leadership. He prophesies through the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. That's four kings. And most of them were wicked. But their wickedness did not negate his assignment. Their lack of desire to serve God did not stop the assignment that he had a message to deliver both to the kings and to the people. And so when the writing of Isaiah opens up, as we're going to get to in just a moment here, when the writing opens up, Judah is isolated with enemies, especially to the north, known as Aram or Assyria, present day, with its capital in Damascus. And they were seen as a constant threat. And then there was the superpower of their time, as we said, the Assyrians with their capital in Nineveh. So Isaiah has to trust God to give the truth of the matter to Judah, that though your enemies are surrounding you, because you as a nation have become selfish and self-sufficient, judgment is coming. Judah had to be addressed. And if we are honest, we live in a nation that claims to be God's light to the world. Right? I think it is very dangerous to claim God's divine favor or to claim God's approval for an undertaking in your nation and then ignore the God that you say blessed your endeavors in undertaking. But that is where we are as a nation. So Isaiah details what is happening with Judah, but also details what God detests. God does not leave people clueless as to why these things are happening to their nation, nor does he leave them clueless about how to bring an end to these national disasters. So let's dive in. We're going to read Isaiah 1. We're going to read Isaiah 1. Let's dive in. Starting at verse 1, reading to uh, verse 4. The vision that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw regarding Judah and Jerusalem during the times of the kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Heaven and earth, you're the jury. And I'm reading from the message. Listen to God's case. I had children and raised them well, and they turned on me. The ox knows who's boss, 
The mule knows the hand that feeds him, but not Israel. My people don't know up from down. Shame. Misguided God dropouts. Staggering under their guilt baggage. A gang of miscreants. Band of vandals. People who have walked out on me, their God. Turned their backs on the holy of Israel. Walked off and never looked back. In the Holman Christian, it says it this way, verse 4, O sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, broad of evildoers, depraved children. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on him. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, back to the message. Why bother even trying to do anything with you when you just keep to your bullheaded ways? You keep beating your heads against brick walls. Everything within you protests against you. From the bottom of your feet to the top of your head, nothing's working right. Wounds and bruises and running sores, untended, unwashed, unbandaged. Your country is laid waste. Your cities burned down. Your land is destroyed by outsiders while you watch, reduced to rubble by barbarians. Daughter Zion is deserted like a tumble-down shack on a dead-end street, like a tarp or shanty on the wrong side of the tracks, like a sinking ship abandoned by the rats. If God of the angel armies hadn't left us a few survivors, we'd be as desolate as Sodom, doomed just like Gomorrah. Listen to my message, you Sodom-schooled leaders. Receive God's revelation, you Gomorrah-schooled people. Why this frenzy of sacrifices, God's asking? Don't you think I've had my fill of burnt sacrifices, rams, and plump grain-fed calves? Don't you think I've had my fill of blood from bulls, lambs, and goats? When you come before me, Whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, all this sheer commotion in the place provided for worship? Quit your charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. And then he details, in case you don't understand that part. He said, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, Special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. Essentially, God is saying, I'm tired of this. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. And do you know why? Because I've been tearing people, because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Man. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good, work for justice. justice, help the down and out, stand up for the homeless, go to bat for the defenseless. I'm coming back because I'm going to share. So he says, listen, you've walked out on God, but you've kept at the ritual. You've walked out on God, but you're still religious. Quit the worship charades. That's what he's saying. And then he says, what are all your sacrifices to me? How are you offering to God everything but yourself, your will, your obedience? So he's telling the people there's a lot of commotion going on, but not communion. There's a lot of commotion happening in the place provided for worship, but no real communion to me. 
Because the communion to me is based on your willingness to follow me. It's based on your purity of heart. So even God is saying, I'm tired of this religious nation. This is what he tells them. I'm tired of this religious nation with dirty hands and idolatrous hearts. And as I was reading this, the Lord said to me, religion will let you keep on sinning and performing and holding meetings and calling assemblies with no repentance. Religion does not require repentance. And maybe that's why a lot of people are bound to it. Mm. Verse 13, going back to the Holman Christian, he says, I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. Think about that. Remember, iniquity is secret sin. It's the things that's, that are not evidently seen by others. We know that there are lots of things right now, especially in religious circles that are evidently seen. But he's talking about that heart work. He's talking about that internal work on the soul that is not being done. He's saying you're doing all of these outward religious things, but in your heart, your heart belongs to someone else. So, Iniquity with a festival is a is detested. It is it's something that he detests. But unfortunately, people just go right on planning festivals and sometimes for the opportunity to commit iniquity. But God says, No, I don't want any of this. Let's see what he says. Verse 18. Come, sit down, let us reason together. I know what I see, but I still want to be in communion with you. For all the ones who think that God just throws people away. He said, come, let's reason. Let's reason together. Let's discuss this. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If you're willing and stubborn, if you're willful and stubborn, you're going to be devoured. That's what he's telling them. You have a Judah, you have a very real enemy that's getting ready to invade. And if you will not turn back to me, you're going to be devoured in this process. So what does God have the issue with? God had an issue with iniquity posing as righteousness. When we read it in context, he's saying, I want communion with you, but you're over here communing with all these other things. And then you're still trying to practice these rituals, these festivals, these Sabbaths, these new moons. You're trying to practice like you're with me, but your heart is with other gods. It was the iniquity posing as righteousness that God had an issue with. He wanted willing worshipers. Not people who were using religious ceremony while doing everything opposite of what God wanted. And again, to me this speaks really strongly of the culture that we have right now where people will do all kinds of religious showy Things, what we call churchianity. It's a real word. You can look it up. It is the acts of piousness minus the relationship with God. And God is saying, even to these people, he's saying, look, let's reason together. 
I don't want you giving me something when your heart is not in it. When your desire for me is not in it. Don't do these festivals. Don't be doing all this Sabbath day stuff. Don't be holding these meetings and rituals in my name. When your heart is with another God. What happens to a society that walks out on God? Let's see. Verse 21 through 23. He says, and I'm reading in the Holman Christian Standard. All right. The faithful city. What an adulteress she has become. She was once full of justice. Righteousness once dwelt in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your beer is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, friends of thieves. They all love graft and chase after bribes. They do not defend the rights of the fatherless and the widow's case never comes before them. What happens to a society that walks out on God? It becomes justiceless. You look up and you wonder, where are the people doing right? There is counterfeit currency happening in a society that walks out on God. There's an uneven accounting happening with the money. There is a watering down or a diluting of goods and services. The rulers do not respect the rule of law. They become friends with thieves. Murder is the norm. They're not defending the fatherless. And the widow's case never comes before them. She never gets her day in court. Now, if you can't see the parallels between that list mm -hmm. and our current nation, I don't know what to tell you. Right. Let's see what he says. Verse 24. This decree, therefore, The Lord God of hosts, the mighty one of Israel declares, Ah, I will gain satisfaction against my foes. I will take revenge against my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and I will burn away your dross completely. I will remove all your impurities. I will restore your judges to what they once were and your advisors to their former state. Afterwards, you will be called the righteous city, a faithful city. Zion will be redeemed by justice. Her repentant ones, again, there's that clause, her repentant ones by righteousness. Both, but both rebels and sinners will be destroyed and those who abandon the Lord will perish. Indeed, they will be ashamed of the sacred trees you desired and you will be embarrassed because of the gardens you have chosen. Talking about the groves and the places of idol worship. For you will become like an oak whose leaves are withered and like a garden without water. The strong one will become tender for and his work a spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the flames. I like the, the message Bible. It says, this is it. I will get the oppressors off my back. I'll get back at my enemies. I'll give you the back of my hand and purge the junk from your life. I will clean you up. I will set honest judges and wise counselors among you, just like it was back at the beginning. Then you'll be renamed the city that treats people right the true blue city. God's right ways will put Zion right again. 
In other words, this is a job for God. When all is said and done, Isaiah the prophet delivers the message. He lets people know judgment is coming. Judgment is imminent. But for the repentant, there is hope. God is going to restore a people. It won't be the prophet that restores. It will be God. I'm going to say that again because some of us forget our role in redemption. It is God's role to restore a people. It is a prophet's role to deliver the message. God says what you've chosen, if you stick with that, it's going to bring you to ruin. It is a dead end to get caught up in idol worship. God says, I want worship, but I don't want your ritual and you have no heart towards me. I don't want what you're offering if you're not offering your heart, your will, your obedience. He wants us to have justice. He wants us to be a righteous people. And understand that without grace, without grace, the people of God kept messing up over and over and over and over and over. And then comes the Holy Spirit. And God now gives us the power to choose him and to keep on choosing him. And to keep on choosing righteousness. Because it's still a choice. To stay with him. By being in Christ. And so. For Isaiah. And any other messenger. This was not. An easy message. To deliver. To a people. But he was true to this message. And he delivered it. Faithfully. Let me ask you a question as I close today. What message are you supposed to deliver? What message are you hedging on that you have yet to share with the people that God has called you to? Are you supposed to deliver a message of judgment? Is God judging something? And remember Judgment is really supposed to lead to repentance. It's not intended to lead to destruction. So is there a word of judgment that you're supposed to deliver that you are hedging on? Is there a word of warning that you're supposed to deliver? What about a word of comfort and a word of hope? Are you like Jonah? Are you supposed to deliver a word of comfort and hope to somebody that you don't necessarily like or get along with or favor? Because that's still not walking in what God called you to. I want to give a, a quick object lesson and then I'm going to let Apostle come on over. So when we talk about calling, we often we often hear the word calling. And we, and we say, well, I feel called to do something, right? Over here, I have some examples of confirmations of calling. So we have licenses, right? We go to ordination ceremonies. We get... Certificates of appointment for certain things. And sometimes your ordination certificate can be huge. (laughs) Right? But all of those things. All of those things. You can have all of those things. But if you don't have a call from God. To do what you're supposed to do. All of that. 
doesn't mean a hill of beans. So let's not just have paper. As the prophet Isaiah here, let's make sure that we have heard God in our calling. Let's make sure that we have purposed to do what it is God has said in our calling. Because man can ordain you, man can appoint you, man can confirm you, but it is God who calls you. He is the one who calls you to the work. Isaiah, again, served for 40 years. It didn't matter who was in office. It didn't matter who the king was, whether he was good or whether he was evil. He was faithful to his call. He documented what it is that he was supposed to warn and comfort and give hope about so that here we are. Thousands of years later, and we can read his faithful record because he didn't go to sleep on the job. Apostle. Good afternoon, everyone. This slice and dice. Gosh, you know, you know, you look at the chefs, particularly, I don't know if you've been to those uh, uh, Japanese steakhouses where they kind of cook the food before you, and they take the steak, they throw it out there on the fire, and they, you know, take those knives and throw the knives in the air and come down and slice everything up, grill it, broil it, all that stuff. Well, that's what we got today. We have the Chef Shan, chef, chef, chef Prophet Shante dicing up this word, slicing it up. You know, you can feel a fire raging up right in front. You feel that heat coming. So as you're eating, you know, like, ooh, this was cooked right before us. This was powerful. Um, the thing that really gets me the most out of this is that, number one, God does not hate humanity. At all. God does not hate humans. COVID is not because God hates humans. <laughs> the issues that come, like the earthquakes and the tsunami and the volcano that erupted in the Pacific, it's not because God hates humans. God loves his creation. He loves human beings. And when prophets like Isaiah, who one of the most prolific prophets of all of the Bible, sharing such great Messages of, of like judgment, like you said, judgment, comfort. hope, comfort, and hope. Judgment, comfort, and hope. Those three things. When you deliver God's word, there's 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 a word that's judging. It's very stinging, but there's hope. Like my dad gave me, you know, some people have varying issues on this, but there's times he gave me physical discipline. And one thing about him, when he would physically discipline us, he talked about it hurts him more than it hurts us. I was like, man, you lying, man. Stop, just, just, just shut up with that. that you know, your, your head, you're like, you know, yeah, yeah, right. You you know, Looney Tunes. I'm in pain, but you don't want to hurt more than me. Yeah, right. Well, that's how God, God gives discipline. He's not here to destroy people. He gives discipline so that we can be corrected into the way that leads to righteousness and hope and comfort and all those things that he rewards, that he gives as a baseline of his character. The thing that really, really, really drops really heavy in my um, um, in this passage is the the thing that comes from like verse verse thirteen to seventeen. Quit your worship charades. I cannot stand your trivial games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbath, special meetings, meetings, meetings. I cannot stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. Now, what this is really, the list of the sin God really gave me. We live in a society where everything is about what you do in the public eye. Humans love to see performance. Humans love that spirit of entertainment. 
And that whole essence of entertainment industry, the tenor of entertainment, it, it, it reaches like every element of civilized society. Politicians, preachers, judges, people who are in public elected official positions, those who are in ordained positions, they have tendencies to love to bring public charades out there while their private lives are in utter darkness. We have seen time and time and time again how all this God gave me the other day. There's a fine line between charisma and con man or con person. And here, the Lord does not want us to be con artists. You cannot con God by doing all these beautifully eloquent community service rituals that he got nothing to do with. We have to understand community service is a big tagline. Many organizations of our day, of our current culture and time in Western civilization are centered around community service rituals, a community service event for this, a community service event for that, you know, meeting and meeting and meeting. And so people lust after these positions to be in leadership so that they can have these appearance to be over these great meetings while their lives are in darkness. So many dark things happen behind the scenes that are attributed to idolatrous practice. And then they use the charades of public meetings and assembly as a basis to look good before the people as if they're good before God. And that's what God absolutely hates. So that's what we want to pray into today, that we don't sit there and wind up being so great, eloquent public meters in the face of the public and privately an absolute abomination and shame to God. Absent in communion from God. Absent in communion from God. God wants the heart, not entertainment. He don't need inter- he don't need humans to entertain him. So there's <sighs> so much to get into this, but I pray you reread this passage and use it in, I mean in this whole chapter and look at it in various versions of the scripture. I mean, various uh, iterations, like the message, translation, the message, look at it from the Amplified, just see the nitty-gritty of what really and how relatable, how relatable, excuse me, it is to our current, right on the nail, dime right on the head, culture. So, 